0: Blue Belladonna by Nigel Banks Read by Patrick O'Connor The turn into the driveway took him by surprise. In his memory, he had pictured it to be further on. But then, it was nearly sixty years since he had last been there. The long wooded drive seemed unchanged, however, with its delightful mix of deciduous trees, and every yard covered, took him further back in time to those hot summer days of 1956 when he had spent much of the school holidays here. This pilgrimage to a childhood memory was the latest leg in his tour of as many of the places he had visited during his life that he could muster while he still had sufficient health and strength. His cancer was in remission his oncologist had informed him but there were no guarantees that it would not return at any moment. He had decided, therefore, to seize the day and look up people he had not seen in years, former colleagues, relatives and friends. Some of the reunions had been joyous, others less satisfactory, and one or two positively excruciating, but overall he was glad that he had embarked upon the mission. His wife had smiled indulgently when he first proposed it, in truth, She was glad to have him out from under her feet now that his strength and vigour had returned. So he had set off on these various jaunts, taking care to check in with her at the end of every day to reassure her that all was well. This latest excursion, which was planned to last about a week, had taken him to the south-west of the country. Now he was on his way to stay with an ex-colleague who had retired to budley Salterton but was making this diversion via the village of Lower Upcott to visit Ashcombe Hall, where he had spent that childhood holiday all those years ago. The quaint oxymoronic village name had always amused him, as had the turn of phrase used by the locals, if asked where they had been. Oh, up along and down the bay, they would reply with a genial smile and an air of vagueness. Life seemed to operate at such a gentle, unhurried pace there, he recalled. The long, hot days of summer that year were at odds with the gathering storm clouds in the wider world. His reason for being there that summer was at the invitation of his best friend at prep school, Roddy Ashcombe. Both sets of parents thought it would be a good idea for their boys to have company of their own age during the long summer holidays, so he had been packed off by train from London down to the country to spend six weeks at Ashcombe Hall. Roddy's father was a senior diplomat at the Foreign Office and was completely taken up with the Suez Crisis, which was gathering momentum, so they saw very little of him. He and Roddy were mostly left to their own devices, spending their days playing in the woods, fishing in the large pond, or helping George Jenkins, the gardener. This last activity brought them into contact with his son, Tom, who was a couple of years older and liked to compensate for his inferior social status by displaying his superior physical strength and knowledge of country ways. He delighted in challenging them to arm wrestling contests, which he always won, or tantalising them with his lurid descriptions of how animals and humans made babies. He smiled at the recollection as his car drew up at the front of the hall, which was now uninhabited and derelict. It was a sad sight to behold, so he decided not to linger there, but take a tour of the grounds and visit the walled garden, which had been a favourite place of his. He had become closely acquainted with it during his stay because Roddy had succumbed to a nasty bout of chickenpox two weeks into the holiday and was therefore quarantined in an attic bedroom. He had been expressly forbidden to go anywhere near his friend, lest he should contract the infection. He had therefore been forced to make his own amusement. He began to tag along with George Jenkins, who fielded his naive questions about flora and fauna with tolerant equanimity. They spent a lot of time in the walled garden, which held, within its nurturing 20-foot-high bastions, a cornucopia of different species. The central grassed areas were planted with different varieties of apple, pear and plum trees. The borders were teeming with flowers and bushes of every description, both native and exotic. The walls were festooned with wonderful rambling roses and other creeping plants. Pride of place, however, was reserved for Lord Ashcombe's beloved Blue Belladonnas. The tall, delicate plants with their hollow stalks and tresses of small bell-shaped flowers in vibrant shades of blue, indigo and violet were tended with special care by George. His lordship had won many prizes with them at the annual local flower shows and country fairs over the years. As he peered through the tall gate into the garden, the contrast between now and then could not have been more marked. Nature had reclaimed her territory completely. The place was overgrown with brambles, gorse bushes, nettles, and weeds. The fruit trees that had survived looked diseased and rotten. Lord Ashcombe must be turning in his grave, he mused. His enjoyment of the garden had been seriously marred by an act of stupidity on his part. It hadn't been entirely his fault. Tom had played a significant role in the disaster. Without Roddy's presence to check him, he had allowed himself to be drawn more closely under Tom's baleful influence. Despite dire warnings from his father about playing games in the garden, Tom had inveigled him into some rough-and-tumble one afternoon when George was occupied in the glasshouse on the other side of the walled garden. What started out as a fairly good-natured scrag between the two boys gradually escalated into much more violent physical contact. The climax of this was reached when Tom launched himself at him and knocked him off his feet and straight into the bed of Belladonna's, totally flattening them. Tom had shown his true colours by running away and leaving him to face the music. Having been brought up to tell the truth, no matter how painful the consequences, he had immediately reported the damage to Lady Ashcombe. She had remained amazingly calm, as she did about most things, but insisted that he tell his lordship himself when he next came down from London. He obeyed the schoolboy's code of honour and ignored the temptation to incriminate Tom. Justice was done, however, as George had seen his son running away from the scene of the crime and was wise enough to realise the boy's part in the proceedings. He didn't see much of Tom after that. He took a last look at the walled garden before taking his leave and thought of all the water that had passed under the bridge of his life since those halcyon days back in the summer of 56. He could still picture those belladonnas waving gently in the summer breeze with their delicate flowers in such vivid shades of blue. The tears came to his eyes as Hausmann's immortal lines came to mind. Into my heart... An air that kills from yon far country blows. What are those blue remembered hills? What spires, what farms are those? That is the land of lost content. I see it shining plain. The happy highways where I went and cannot come again.